Hi! Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On today's episode, Leah Hextall on the Jets. What do they need to do in the second half of the season? Do they need to make a trade? She thinks so. Also, Sarah Jacobson, 18-year-old Winnipegger, named Ultimate Canada's Female Junior Athlete of the Year. A great interview that you'll want to hear. Plus, my NFL recap of the divisional round. That's all on the podcast. Time for our regular Monday check-in with Leah Hextall, our hockey expert here on 680 CGOB. Leah, the Jets welcome in the Golden Knights tomorrow night. Uh, it's their first meeting since their playoff series in May. We've heard from some players earlier in the show. Uh, facing a team that knocked you out, is that going to give you extra motivation if you're the Jets? Well, it's one of those interesting things, Christian, because I don't think anyone on the Winnipeg Jets forgets how their season ended. But I think it's not so much about the Vegas Golden Knights, why it ended, but the Jets will look at it, what did we not do in order to accomplish winning that series? And that will be the focus tomorrow night. So in that respect, they remember what happened in the playoffs last year, but they're also thinking about what do we need to do in order to get the two points this evening? Because right now, if you're looking at the standings, and I mean, I understand that these teams are in the Pacific, but when you look at what Calgary and San Jose are doing right now, Calgary has won five straight, San Jose has won six straight, and Calgary right now is creating that separation between Winnipeg and the standings for that top spot in the conference. And I do realize that it's January and we're not near playoff time yet, but it's going to come really quick as we get set for the all-star break coming up here. And when you really look at the standings, I don't think Winnipeg wants to be sitting third in their conference because then you're going to face a strong team, perhaps in Dallas. Maybe they've had their struggles this year, but they're still a good team with a lot of superstars. And if they get hot at the right time, they could cause problems. So if you want to draw a correlation between this game and the playoffs, I think it's more about getting those two points and starting to work their way back up to the top of the standings because right now they're seeing some teams pull away in the Western Conference. A lot of people didn't give Vegas the credit they deserved even as they were going through the playoffs. It's like this is going to end, this is going to end. There was always a feeling that it was going to run out and I guess it did in the Stanley Cup final but even this year they followed it up with an effort now where they are even with the Jets in points right now. The Jets have played a few fewer games, but they're on a huge tear right now. They've won eight of their last ten games. They're four back of Calgary for top in this conference. And again, asserting themselves as a team to be reckoned with. They absolutely are. And I, I absolutely agree with you because I was one of those people last year. I was one of those people who thought, you know, this Cinderella run that they're on, it's going to end. But it never did. It didn't in the regular season. They were very strong in the playoffs and they just happened to come up against a Washington team that was just a little bit better than them. But they have continued to play very well. And it starts with their head coach, Gerard Gallant. He has this team playing a very disciplined brand of hockey. And I'm not talking there about staying out of the box. They're disciplined in how they play because they do not deter from their game plan. So whatever their game plan is against a significant team, they stick to it. And I really believe the reason that they stick to it is because they don't get fancy in their game. They play that simple game. And we hear that often, but with the Golden Knights, it's really true. If you look up and down their roster, they have talented players, but they don't have the superstars that the Jets do in the Blake Wheelers and the Mark Shifleys or the Sidney Crosbys and the Genny Malkin. They have a lot of really strong players that are committed 
to playing into that team game, that simple game. And let's not get it twisted. You can't look past their goaltender. Marc-Andre Fleury has been phenomenal. He leads the league in wins. He has six more than Connor Hellebuck, but he's also played six more games than Connor Hellebuck has. But I look at Marc-Andre Fleury, and I really think that he's a huge reason why they've done so well. And considering the fact that he was that player that was asked to leave the Pittsburgh Penguins, I kind of enjoy seeing him doing as well as he is. But the question is, this year, will he be able to continue it in the playoffs? Because he's almost at, he's got 41 games right now. And when you look at it, I mean, he's not that far off from how many games he played in entirety last season because of the injury. Yeah, he was hurt a lot last season. Vegas used a bunch of different goalies. But speaking of goaltending, Connor Hellebuck was bested in that series. He was good, but Marc-Andre Fleury was great. Is Hellebuck right now in need of maybe a few more days off? I think so. Uh, I know that we spoke about this last week, but with the way, there's two things here, Christian. One, they have a backup goaltender in Brassois that is playing really well. So why not utilize them when you can? When we look at this schedule coming up, I mean, it's been so busy for them all season because of the trip at the start of the year, but I'm looking to March right now, and they've got 15 games in 30 days. And that's really the time period where you want Connor Hellebuck to really be going because you're heading into that playoff run. So you're going to want to play him in a lot of those games. So I really think that they need to show um, some faith in Brassois, which they should, because they don't have to play him just because it's a back-to-back. They need to play him more and give Hellebuck that time off. Because, again, we just talked about it with Fleury. He didn't play that many games last year. I've mentioned it, the same thing with, you know, when it came to um, – uh, the name, oh my goodness, I'm having a little bit of a brain thing here with the Washington Cat Holtby. Sorry about that. Braden Holtby, he didn't play as many games as he usually did last season. Look how well he did going on to win the Stanley Cup. So I really think it would be in the Jets' best interest to give Laurent Bressois more games coming up in February as we get ready to head into the playoff run. And he's been fantastic. Like you said, he, he's, his numbers are gaudy, but. Brassois' numbers will go down the more he plays. It's it's just probably natural. It is natural. And you know what? I think at this point, when you look at where the Jets are, I mean, they can afford to perhaps drop a couple games to get rest because I'm sorry, I don't care. I mean, yes, you want to do well. You want to have a good playoff position. You want that home ice if you can possibly get it. Of course you do. But the Jets are really positioned as long as nothing crazy happens to have that. So, I mean, I would rather see him have you know, great success being Hellebuck in the playoffs. I don't care what he's done in the regular season. So I'd rather give him the rest now. I don't care if he doesn't hit his numbers for his bonuses or whatever maybe they're going after. But I really think it's pivotal because I don't know about you, Christian, but I thought last year in the playoffs against Vegas, I thought he looked tired. I thought, you know, he wasn't as sharp as he was in the first two rounds. That series against Nashville, it took seven games, and it was a hard-fought series against a talented group, and it's not going to get any easier this year in the playoffs. It took a lot out of everybody on yes. that team, and Patrick Laine said that much today. This current line structure now, there's been a lot of juggling, and with players healthy minus Ehlers, is there anything you've seen differently over the last couple of games that you, you think they might want to stick with? You know, I haven't really. Actually, you know what's kind of sticking out to me more is the fact that 
more than anything, I in five weeks when that trade deadline comes, is that I really do believe they need to bring in another forward up front. I don't think that this is a team that's going to be able to get over that hump and get to a Stanley Cup final without it. Um, and it's because of these little things. When injuries occur up front like they are right now, even just taking Ehlers out of the lineup, they have such a good core. They are a very deep team. I understand that. But you need a player that can pop in that's not just going to fill that role or that void, Christian. You need someone who's going to come in and score you big goals. And that they don't have right now. So I would like to see them do something at the trade deadline, and it's going to be interesting here because I think this is a really strong hockey club that has all the potential in the world to do some damage in the playoffs. But I do think, and I don't know how you feel, but I feel like there's just that one little thing, that Stasny-like trade, that they need in order to put them over the top. Would they be okay with losing an active roster player, or would this be like last year where it's a package of other picks or prospects? Well, as uh, Kevin Sheveldayoff showed us last year, he's not afraid to give up a first-rounder. He did that in order to get Stasny. They're likely going to have to give up a top pick, but, you know, I think if they're going to go out there and get that player, and, you know, I'm just going to say it, I'd love to see a Wayne Simmons-type player come in for the playoff run. I understand that this might be a player that is a UFA at the end of the season that likely might not sign here, that they have the same situation with Stasny. You're going to have to give something, an active roster player, to your point, or someone in your system, like perhaps a Christian Veselainen, up for a player like Wayne Simmons. But when you look at that player as a package, he scores big goals. He is a pest. He's good defensively. He gets under the skin. He's everything you need in a playoff performer. I get he's not a centerman, but I really feel that they're deep enough down the middle. But I would love to see a player, as would so many other teams, because apparently Calgary and some other teams are kicking tires. And that's the other part. You don't want a player like that going to a team like Calgary. You don't want them going to a Toronto. You want them here on the Winnipeg Jets. So I really think that for Winnipeg to get the player that's going to get them a cup, they're going to have to give up something, and it's going to be a player on this roster. Okay. Looking ahead to the player break, they have three games left before. It's kind of a, an awkward January where it's so top-loaded, and then they have these three games now, Vegas, Nashville, Dallas, and then they're off for a wit, bit with both the player break and the all-star break. Do you like having those together? You know, I do, but I don't. We spoke about the fact that I was saying I wish Blake Wheeler hadn't been an all-star because I really think he's one of those players that plays such tough minutes that could really use the rest right now. I, you know, a lot of people would look at it and probably think, well, yeah, they get this nice break to rest them. But that's an awfully lot of time off. I don't know how you feel about it, but I feel like, you know, and it's time off right before you're going to head into a very pivotal part of the season because, as we know, everything starts to go after the All-Star break. At the end of the day, the bottom line is sports, as they always say it, and every athlete you speak to will say rest is never a bad thing. So I'm going to say it's a good thing for them. Yeah, they play the Stars on the 19th and then the Flyers again on the 28th. The question is, when do you want your bye week? Because this is still a fairly new thing in the NHL. It is. Where do you want it? And to have it right with the All-Star break, you have just this one long break. But we saw it also when they went to Finland, all these long breaks they had, and it did take a bit of time. But do, do the Jets, you know, they're going to Nashville and Dallas the end of this week. Do they need to avoid going 0-2 in those games? I think so. 
I really do. I mean, anytime you head into a break, the last thing you want to do is be going off on a sour note. It's just that's why, you know, when you lose in the playoffs, that's why it sticks with you all summer. And it can be a motivator, but at this point in the season, you're playing against two divisional opponents. Those are four-point swings. This is great ground for them to make up some, you know, to elevate themselves within the standing. And I know they're watching the standings right now. Players will always tell you that they're not, but I will guarantee you that there is a board, a whiteboard, in that dressing room that has the standings on it. And they, every day, it is updated. Because at this point in the season, this is where you start to really watch where you are and what's going on. And when you have teams like Nashville and Dallas, I mean, I know they had their way with Dallas the last time they played them, but Nashville is a very strong team, and this is a team that you're likely going to have to take down in the postseason. And every time you can give a chance to ruin their psyche against you, you need to do that. But it's more important, I agree with you, Christian, before this break, because you want to go in resting on a good note. Before I let you go, Leah, Brian Little. People were not really in love with the contract, and I still don't think people like the contract that he has, but the reality is right now he's playing great hockey as a goal in four of his last five games, the game winner in their last two games, including the overtime winner against Anaheim last night. What does Brian Little mean to this hockey team? He means a lot, and I understand. I, it, this is the one thing, and even when I wasn't living here and I was covering the game nationally, that I didn't understand about fans in Winnipeg. Because if you go outside of Winnipeg, Brian Little, he's not someone who everyone's talking about because there's no flash to his game. But he is by far one of the most consistent players within the National Hockey League. He is put into position. He is trusted by his head coach to go do those defensive zone face-offs in the biggest moment, those neutral zone face-offs in the biggest moments. He doesn't make mistakes out there. And now he's scoring. So I understand that maybe he doesn't put up the numbers that people think you should get for that kind of contract. But if you look at other contracts like his, he's very comparable to everyone else making that money. Actually, he's better. It's just he doesn't doesn't do it in a way that every night makes people get out of their seats and go, wow. But I always feel that those underrated players are usually the ones that aren't appreciated until they're gone. And I hope that's not the case for Brian Little because Brian Little is a pivotal part of this team. And if you speak to members on this team, they speak very highly of all the little things he does right. I see what you did there. <laughs> and, tomorrow, and tomorrow he's got game number 800 in his career. He was a first-round pick in 2006 by the Thrashers. He's the the OG player on this team as far as the uh, they go back, and he's somebody who, you know, a very versatile player as well. He is very versatile, and he's a great player, and I've always been a Brian Little fan. I mean, for those, I mean, maybe this doesn't matter to people, but it's also the way that he deals with everything off the ice. He does everything the Jets ask him. He falls in line. He's a great team guy in the room. He's a great team player. He just gets it done, and he's always been that way ever since he was drafted so many moons ago because now, you're right, he is the OG. I mean, you have to remember, this wasn't always the Winnipeg Jets. He survived through some very lean times in Atlanta. And he's still here all these years later. It's yep. Great. All right, Leah, I appreciate your time as always, and we'll check in with you on Friday. All right, sounds good. Gray Academy of Jewish Education, grade 12 student Sarah Jacobson is the junior female athlete of the year in Ultimate Canada. They've named her as their female junior athlete of the year, and she joins us now on the CGOB Sports Show. Sarah, congratulations. Where were you when you uh, you learned that you would receive this honor? 
Hi, thank you so much. Um, I was actually in the middle of my biology class when I glanced at my phone and saw one of my teammates had texted me congratulating me. Um, so I instantly broke into tears and thank God I'm the only one in that class. So my teacher allowed me to have a moment. So Okay. Only person in that class. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so, so you had, uh, you had a, a moment there and then what did you do to celebrate? Um, that night I actually had an ultimate game at U of M. So I got to kind of celebrate with all the people who have helped me reach where I am, which was really special and really nice. We went out for drinks and got some wings after, and it's just been really nice, a really exciting few days. So it's been a good weekend to say the least. Yeah, no doubt. When did you start playing yeah. ultimate? I started playing in grade six in middle school. So around six years ago, just over six years ago. Um, and yeah, that's kind of kept me there for the past six years ever since I started. What was it about it that drew you to try it? It's a good question. A lot of people ask me that, and I'm still not 100% certain what it was about the sport. Um, I, was compla- I was playing competitive soccer at the time when I started playing, and I ended up quitting soccer for ultimate and pursuing it head on. Um, it's, I mean, it's such a cliche when I say that ultimate is so much more than just a sport. Since it is really in the works of being established, the community is so tight-knit and connected, and it's such a beautiful community and also it's self-refereed and you get a real sense of sportsmanship and just mutual respect between players. It's really special. So I highly recommend it to any of you thinking about it. Absolutely. And it is a, it's not just a, a gym class sport. This is a high no. act. You know, you gotta be very athletic to play this. Yeah, yeah for sure. So uh, tell me about how the comp- competition works because is there a, like a local league? Do you play in clubs? How does that work? Yeah. So uh, there's actually a pretty large high school league right now. Uh, most schools participate in it, and you'd be surprised that most high school students do play Ultimate Frisbee. And then there are a lot of club provincial teams. So MOFO is the most common. It's the highest level of provincial you can play. And then later after you graduate, you can play on the club provincial teams um, for over 18. And then there's a national level. So there are tryouts for under 20 every two years and under 24. Um, so, yeah. A lot, a lot, and there's also developmental indoor leagues if you want to play that or in the summer. So there's a bunch of different levels options for everyone, which is really awesome. Should mention what MoFo is. Masters of Flying Objects yes. is your <laughs> team. That's the junior provincial team. Yes, it is. Yeah, and it's a it's an ex, kind of a double entendre because it is you know it's flying objects. They're the discs, but it's also a way to say something that's kind of inappropriate in a way that's actually not dirty. <laughs> yes, exactly. So. Yeah, you're also the captain of the Canadian National Under-20 team. How does someone get good at ultimate? Um, I mean, as any other sport, a lot of practice, a lot of determination, a lot of passion. Um, Although it is in the worth of establishment, not like other sports that you hear of, it still is just as competitive, and a lot of people play it. So a lot of practice, playing for a lot of teams, playing with different people, playing at a high level. It's just a lot about experience like any other sport would be. Do you play 12 months a year? I do, yeah. I play indoor twice a week in the winters, sometimes three times a week, and in the summer I play four or five times a week. Okay, so this is something that keeps you very busy. Yes, for sure. (laughs) So this uh, past summer, the Canadian Ultimate Championships, uh, your team won gold and then won bronze at the World Under-20 Ultimate Championships. Where where was that taking place? Uh, So the Canadian Ultimate Championships with my provincial team was in Brampton, Ontario where we won gold for the first time in history. And then 
straight from there, I headed to Worlds, which was actually in Waterloo. So Canada got the home advantage, um, and we got bronze there. So they were within an hour of each other. Have you? Yeah, that's. I was hoping that you got to go someplace far, but have you? Yeah. Have you been able to travel the world to play ultimate I at have. all? Yeah, three years ago, I played. I started playing on the national team when I was fifteen, and Worlds that year was in Poland, and we won gold, beating US in the final. So I got to go there, and I travel a lot within Canada for national training camps. So. Yeah, I've got a lot, of, a little bit of traveling from it. Will ultimate ever be an Olympic sport? It will. Yes, actually, it's in the um, process of becoming one. It's a trial sport right now. I think is what it's being called. So it's going through trials to see for future. But I can safely say within the next ten, fifteen years, it will be an Olympics. I think. That's cool. That's really cool. Another yeah. opportunity because a lot of people are playing this and you got to go to the Worlds. What other countries are taking up Ultimate as a sport like Canada is? Most countries. Yeah. Um, U.S., of course. Colombia is a really good wow. country when it comes to Ultimate. Australia, New Zealand, um, China, almost all European countries, Israel. I mean, anywhere. It just skyrocketed in the last few years, so it's really amazing to see every year at Worlds that more teams are becoming a part of it. So how does that make you feel, someone that took up the sport right as it was kind of blowing up? Yeah, I I always say that I count my lucky stars that I am playing Ultimate, and a lot of people ask me, like, why don't you pursue a, a real sport? But it's so amazing to see the advancement of Ultimate as I'm in it, and I hope that in 50 years I look back and think about my time as it's in the establishment and can really attest to how it all began and the power of ultimate. So it's really exciting to see all the changes that are happening and being a part of it. Definitely very exciting. So those who may doubt it and say, like you said, it's not a real sport. What do you have to say to those people? I mean, try it and then let me know because (laughs) I've played a lot of sports in my time and it's probably the most physically demanding that I've ever played. And it's a lot of people have never actually watched it. So they don't know what it entails, but definitely a real sport to say the least and i encourage everyone to try it because it's lots of fun so you're still in high school what's next for you in terms of academics yeah um i'm not 100 percent certain but right now i'm thinking of attending university of toronto next year and i reckon they've got some uh, ultimate there of course yes <laughs> it was a deciding factor yeah for sure. um what are you uh looking to major in um i'm looking to into sciences and i'm looking at the global health program at university of toronto Cool. All right. Well, we wish you the best of luck. Congratulations again on this honor. We'll be tracking you through the uh, to, through the ranks with the mofos and uh, yeah. whatever else you go through. Congratulations again, Sarah, and thanks for joining me tonight. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Well, it's billed as the best weekend of NFL football of the entire season, the divisional round of the playoffs. Would it live up to the hype? Short answer, no. Longer answer, NFL recap. Starting in Kansas City, where the Chiefs had not won a home playoff game since 1993. Quarterback Patrick Mahomes was not alive then. Could they break the trend against a Colts team that had won 10 of its last 11? The answer was apparent very quickly. Colts, three and out. Kansas City, touchdown. Colts, three and out. Kansas City, touchdown. Colts, three and out. Kansas City field goal. Colts three and out, and then a blocked punt touchdown. The Colts have life. Past demons of blown playoff leads coming back to life. Dodge instant touchdown drive for the Chiefs. And when the legendary Adam Vinatieri doinked the 23-yard field goal, you knew it was over. 
a second half not worth watching. Chiefs rolled in a 31-13 win. They host the title game. To Los Angeles, where a ton of Cowboys fans were in the stands. And a great start for Dallas, leading 7-6 after one. The Rams were getting yards, but settling for field goals. Things, though, turned around. In the second, LA puts together two touchdown drives at 20 to 7 Rams at the half. Cowboys though cut into lead in the third to make it a one possession game. They're down by eight. And after a punt, the Cowboys start driving again, but on fourth and one with the league's leading rusher, Ezekiel Elliott, they cannot get a yard. And then the Rams stick the dagger in. Seven and a half minute touchdown drive, getting the TD on a fourth down and goal. A late Dallas TD made it look closer than it was, but two Rams running backs broke 100 yards. Todd Gurley, duh. But also C.J. Anderson off the street. The C.J. stands for Chunky Jelly. Over 130 yards on the ground, 30-22. The Rams just covered the spread. To Foxborough, where many allegedly smart but football minds were smelling upset. The Chargers look really good. The Patriots have had a whatever season. But to those people, you can't bet against Tom Brady at home in the playoffs. Pats drive right down the field with the opening score. And after the Chargers answered right back, that was about it. Pat score again. Chargers punt. Patriots touchdown. Chargers punt. Patriots touchdown. Chargers punt. Patriots punt. But the Chargers muff the bunt, so it's Patriots touchdown. 35-7 at the half. Go do some errands. Clean up the kitchen. Take the kids for a walk. You've got some time to kill. 41-28 the final. Who cares? Patriots into the AFC title game for the eighth year in a row. You cannot kill them. Someday. Not today. And finally, the only game with any real drama could the Miracle Eagles do it again against the top-ranked Saints early on? A stunner. Saints QB Drew Brees picked off on the first play. Gilly drives for the TD. Saints three and out. Eagles touchdown. It's 14-0. What is happening? Surely Philly can't do this again. Don't call me Shirley. And now a fumble. Eagles should have recovered deep in Saints territory. They can't, though. And that's critical. The Saints punt, but the Miracle Man Nick Foles is picked. And the game turns on a fourth and one where New Orleans goes with a fake punt from its own 30. They get it. They drive for a touchdown. We got a game. A field goal before half continues to slow climb. And all the Eagles can do is punt. And then down four early in the third. Saints take the lead on an 18 play, 112 yard drive that took 11 minutes and 29 seconds. Yes, the yards are weird. They took four penalties on the drive and had to get it all back. So the Saints are going to roll from here. Hold on a second. You thought you could get rid of Nick Foles that easily. No. Will Lutz misses a 52-yard field goal that would have put the game away. And here come the Eagles. Ball on the Saints 27. Right before the two-minute warning, the Eagles are going to pull this one off again. No. No, the ball slips through the hands of Alshon Jeffrey, who said publicly he has the best hands in the league. Lands right in the arms of a Saints defender. Game, set, match. Saints don't cover, but they get the win. All four home teams win this weekend. And the favorites were two and two against the spread. Check out the CJOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m. with Christian O'Mell and the Sports Show Podcast. Not available on iTunes, not available on Google Podcasts, not available anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Yes.